I love that phrase, I am welcomed with open arms. Well, today we're going to end or close out our series on one another. And we're going to do it in a passage that doesn't actually even say one another. But the concept is there. In fact, Paul is writing to his young co-worker, Timothy. So you can turn to 1 Timothy. And he's reminding him of the importance of prayer. However, he gives him a charge to pray for all men. The term obviously holds a very large context, but it has a very specific application that's important for our church. All men in this verse means all people. Everyone needs prayer. And everyone needs prayer because everyone needs God. It's kind of the point. And with this in mind, Paul exhorts or encourages us to understand the importance of prayer. It's interesting. I know you may be sick of hearing it, but the word exhort is the word parakaleo. I did not plan on that as I did this series, that it was going to pop up almost every single week. But I think the Lord planned on it. It's interesting that he uses this word here, so please understand the significance of this. Paul knows that all people need help. And there's no better place to turn than to the Lord. We all have times where we are struggling, we are unsure, we are hurting We are weary, we are in need. And Paul is ready here to help Timothy, to come alongside of him and to move him closer to Christ. And Paul knows that Timothy is the same way. He was willing to move alongside the people that he's ministering to and move them closer to Christ. And so he gives this command to pray, to be steadfast or faithful in how he prays, and how he encourages other people to pray. So would you read with me 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. Maybe your Bible might kind of put a break in at verse 7, but we're going to go to verse 8. Read with me. Therefore I exhort you, I parakaleo you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And here's his message. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. The first verse is very clear. It kind of gives us four categories of prayer. And this isn't meant to be a model that we pray. It's just meant to be a way to kind of quantify or qualify what 
prayer is. And he gives us four different terms or words that he uses to, uh, to describe prayer. And so we're just going to look at, at where prayer is focused. That's what he's telling us. Here's where we should focus our prayer in, in four areas when we're praying for people, because that's the command to pray for people. He's going to include ourselves, and he's going to include other people as well. So here's how four categories or four focuses of our prayer. The first is just supplications. These are petitions for definitive needs that are personal and important. This is the one we like to think that we're good at, but we're probably not. This is praying for ourselves. But the problem is, this is a a deep and intimate request. And we might think that we're good at this, but actually think we're good at the next section, which is just prayer. This component of prayer is really going to be honest about your walk with Christ. This this component of prayer is going to be deep and intense. It requires a full dependence upon God for the answer. Right? Prayer is, is very simply humbly humbling yourself before God and making request to Him. But this is about deep spiritual needs. Unlike the next one, the next one's prayer, it's very general. In fact, that's the most general use of the word that we have, is just prayer. It's reverently, prayer is just reverently addressing our Creator, reverently addressing the one who's in control of all things, acknowledging that He is the all-powerful, all-knowing God. He is, as Blair mentioned a minute ago, and as, as Steve mentioned as well, He is the sovereign Lord of all. And so you come to him make, to make your request. This is actually the one I think we're good at. It's very general. It's praying for things like wisdom, love, holiness, justice. Just general things that we even know about, right? I, I am to pray for myself that I love my wife like Christ loves the church. It's a very general statement course it has very deep ramifications to it and we're usually pretty good about these things often our prayer is very surface level lord give me wisdom for this decision that's coming up or or lord help me to love my children when they're acting like me maybe that's a little more specific than we pray but but the supplications is deep personal need Lord, I am failing you in my personal holiness. And here's how, and here's how, and here's how. And Lord, I need you to break me of my sin. Lord, I desperately need to know in my times of weakness that you are strong. I am too self-reliant. I trust myself and my intellect and my experience when I should be coming to you. Lord, please help me with this. This is a deep and, and personal request that is made to God. Supplications. And I'm afraid that all too often we're good at the surface level stuff, but we don't want to dive too deeply into the deep and intense needs that we have the requests that we really should we be praying, because if we dive deep into those, well, all of a sudden, I'm responsible. And it's much more pleasant if we talk about the surface level stuff. And we ask God for the things that we know 
you know, Lord, help me to have a, a safe day today. We pray for safety way too much. Christ doesn't promise us safety. He promises us persecution, hardship, trials, temptations. We shouldn't pray for a life of ease. We should pray for opportunity that stretches us. Or we pray, Lord, help the doctor to figure out what's wrong with my wretchedly sinful, ailing body. When probably we should be saying, Lord, help me to figure out what's wrong with my wretched, sinful soul. See what I mean? We pray for easy, peripheral stuff, not the deep, personal needs. Well, the third word that is used is intercessions. This is praying for other people. Prayer offered in the interest of them, not yourself, not what you want them to be, right? Not, Lord, help my husband to stop being so stubborn, okay? I mean, you might need that prayer, but maybe before you pray that one, you should say, Lord, help me to be more patient. By the way, I'm never preaching on patience again. This has been quite a week. <laughs> I didn't ask the Lord to help me be patient. I just preached on it, but he, he thought I needed a little extra help. This is prayer of intercession is to agree with other people and agree with them as you together agree with God. And that's what prayer really is. Prayer must be us agreeing with God, not the other way around. And so this, this intercession, can, it can be positive and it can be negative. I think most of the time it's actually positive. It's not praying imprecatory prayers on people. Lord, judge them, judge them. They don't do things right. They don't do things right. Punish, Lord. Lightning. That's not what it is. And usually, sometimes it is a negative connotation. Lord, there's this issue, this sin, this problem, but it's praying for it in a positive light. Lord, we want Your will to be done. We're seeking Your will on this. We need Your corrective and loving hand to be involved. That's what intercessory prayer is. Praying for others. Asking God to intercede. James 5.16 makes this really, really clear. Confess your faults or your trespasses to one another. So there we have, finally we have one another. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Let me ask you, how often do you want to seek out righteous people to pray for you, with you? They're going to pray right. That's the point. They're going to pray for what you need, not what necessarily you're asking. There's a, another component here that he begins to allude to in the next verse. He says in verse 2, For kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So he gives us this aspect of authority, asking God's direct intervention, praying for all people. Now listen, he doesn't mean, he mentions, I realize he mentions kings. In our American context, that would be presidents. And our president needs prayer. He needs a lot of prayer because he's not near God, right? Let's be honest. And that's true. That could be true of our governor too who would claim to be much closer in, in theological belief th than we are, 
That might be our, our new mayor who definitely needs our prayer. That, the, the whole point is not so much the ruler, the chief ruler, it's those in authority. It means your boss, your teacher, an administrator, those who have a position of authority. Because God knows our desperate hearts, we really hate authority. We would much rather rebel against authority than submit to it, and yet he commands us to submit. So this is a prayer. Uh, it, it's, it's a prayer for good. We're, we're commanded to pray for authority. It's not, it doesn't say pray for only the good authority that you agree with. It, it's to pray for the bad and the good authority. And to pray that you submit to the authority. Obviously not in a sinful way, but in a way that honors and glorifies Christ. Why? By the way, we're commanded very clearly in Romans 13, verse 1, to submit to authority, all authority, even the bad ones. Not to sin, but to submit. And we're to pray for our representation. And here's what I think we need to pray for. We need to pray for our representation of Christ to our authority. Really, that's the context of any Christian. We leave this auditorium. We leave this building. And we as a church go out and we disperse. And as we disperse, we are to live out the love and the wisdom of Christ before the unsaved world. We're to demonstrate quiet resolve. Look at verse 2. He even tells us that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, to live a life of peace before them. That we're bringers of peace because we're bringers of Christ. I, I hate the idea of a Christian curmudgeon, a grumpy Gus Christian who poorly represents Christ. That's not what we're to be. When the world looks at us, whether it be a president or a governor or, or a, a mayor or a boss, Anyone in authority, they should look at us and they should say there's something different about them. In a good way. Right? They're, they're just, they're different. They're built different. Right? When everyone else is complaining about the boss, they're, they're I know they're praying for the boss and they're saying things that are, are submissive about the boss. Right Or, or when, when things aren't going well in my, in my um, uh, authoritative role, that, that, Lord, I am submitting to those above me that I might demonstrate what? A quiet and peaceable life in what? In godliness and reverence. Demonstrating Christ and this example of honest, godly living. That's different from our world. Throughout the New Testament, Christians are reminded to live differently. We're to live in such a manner that our actions and our demeanor cause others to pause and notice that something has happened. There's been this humble transformation that took place at some point in their life and made them, made them different from the world around them. It changed them. And then we're able to answer for the hope that lies within us, the hope that propels our life Forward. So let me ask you, in what ways can our life be marked by quiet resolve? A quiet resolve that demonstrates godliness. 
This is what pleases the Lord. All right, he gives us the fourth aspect of prayer, kind of category of prayer, and it's the giving of thanks. This is an expression of gratitude. It brings the matter of prayer kind of full circle, covers all different areas of how we will pray for other people and how we'll pray for ourselves. This is to acknowledge God is in control. Notice the last powerful word, powerful words that, that uh, giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, I think you could link that to all four of these categories, but definitely it's linked at least to the giving of thanks. How often do we give thanks for difficulties? You know, too often our faith is too shallow to thank God for things that we don't understand. It's often too shallow to thank God for circumstances that aren't pleasing to us. Or what we would just most commonly say are negative circumstances. Can I ask you a question? And I know, I know what the answer would be. If I asked you just generally, in, do you have enough faith to think that God is in control of even bad things that are going on in this world? That He has the power to overrule, work through, and accomplish good even in the negative circumstances of this life? I think we would always say, of course. We at least know enough to nod our heads and say, yeah, 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 I agree with that. But in practice, do we believe that God never loses control? So that even when a, a bad thing happens to us, a negative circumstance, and probably all of you are thinking of things right now. Unfortunately, I think probably most of us are thinking health. Health things. But what if it's just in general, uh, uh, job-oriented, family-oriented, health-oriented, right? Our, our experiences, and they're negative. Can we pause long enough and examine that and say, I know that God is in control. Uh, my faith in God is strong enough that this isn't going to change how I'm going to act or react to things. I know He's in control, and I'm even going to thank Him for what He's going to accomplish. How many times in life do you go through something difficult and you look back and all of a sudden, you've got all the clarity of a Monday morning quarterback and you realize, oh, God orchestrated everything so well. He did what only He could do. And we thank God then. Can we have enough faith to thank God at the beginning? And so we get these four different categories of, of, of prayer. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks. Listen, Paul is not messing around here in his language. He's emphasizing the power and, and difference of prayer. Think about what a, a different community of believers that we would be if our prayers are marked by this kind of intense and deep brokenness before God. And that's normal. Too often we pray indifferent prayers. We pray as if Maybe there's a chance that God cares enough that He will be slightly interested in answering my prayer. I'm going to tell you that's convicting to me. That maybe, maybe He cares enough to listen to me this time. By the way, that's a sinful prayer. Would you go to Hebrews 10? I want, I want you to see the doctrine that's behind this passage of prayer. 
Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read verses 19 through 25. Now listen, I preached on this. This is provoking one another to spiritual growth. This is a good, another, another, one another passage. It's a good passage. But notice the emphasis on prayer that we didn't go through the last time we walked through this passage. Verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You notice all the theology in this? It's focused on God and His faithfulness, His promises, His goodness, His work. And what was His work? We're commanded here to boldly enter into the holiest. Please understand the Jewish context of that. If you were a Jew living in the time of the exile, uh, the time of the wandering, the beginnings of the, the, the occupation of the Holy Land, the entrance into the Holy Land, the building of the tabernacle, you would have taken your offering. And if you were a woman, you would have come to the outer court. If you were a man, you would have taken your lamb to the inner court where a priest would have taken it slaughtered that lamb, offered it, washed themselves, offered it on the altar. If they were a a priest, they could have then entered into the holy place where they could have gone to the table of showbread and and, and the altar of incense. And they could have gone into the holy place, but only the high priest could enter into the holy of holies, the holiest of all, once a year, and put blood on the altar. So that's what he would do. The farthest you would go would be the the outer parts of the tabernacle. Yet through the work of Christ, what what, what can we do? We boldly walk through the front gates. Man, woman, child, it doesn't matter. We boldly enter into the holy place, into the holiest. Boldly approaching the throne of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that that God is indifferent and sometimes He's there and sometimes He's not. He doesn't say kind of come and, and, you know, like wander around the edges of the tabernacle and maybe peek in and see if God is interested and has time for you. It's boldly entering in because of the work of Jesus Christ. We enter in because we have a high priest over the house of God who has made you a priest. But notice how we draw near with a true heart in full assurance. In fact, this is emphasized multiple times. God doesn't care about what you're wearing. He doesn't care about the the past history of your righteousness. He doesn't care if, if a year ago you were right with Him or ten years ago you got saved and right with Him. He cares right now where is your heart. And by the way, this is the heart of worship 
It doesn't matter if, if a year ago you sang with all the great faithfulness and humbleness before the God. He cares about right now. How did you enter into this place to give Him praise today? That's what matters. Where is your heart? And so He asks us, He tells us to come boldly before Him, but let us draw near with a true heart because He looks at our heart. He doesn't care about the external things. He sees right down into what you're thinking and what you believe. That's what matters to Him. And so He tells us to have our come with full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled or, or washed, our conscience clear, clean before Him. It doesn't matter if you can say to someone else your conscience is clean. What matters is if your conscience really is clean before Him and Him alone. And then what? We hold fast the confession of our hope that Jesus Christ is the creator and sustainer of this world, that through Him redemption is offered. By no other name can it be offered and that we have humbled ourselves and we have submitted to Him and we have called upon Him for salvation. It is by His grace that we are saved, not our own works. And so we just plead for Him to do what He has already done. And so not wavering in our faith, we recognize He is faithful. That's prayer. Listen, how can you make sure that your heart and the language of your prayer, or the language of your heart, matches that kind of theology? That's what we do when we pray. And if we're not going to do that, if we're going to form our own God, we're going to pray cheap peripheral prayers, checking off a box, then all we're doing is expending a little bit of breath. The intent of prayer is very clear in this passage. Go back to 1 Timothy. Our prayers are to be pleasing to God. So he says in verse 2 that we're to give thanks for kings and for all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And then in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of, of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Prayer is pleasing to God. It demonstrates our commitment to Him, our commitment to His ways, our commitment to His truth the only truth. And prayer reveals our outlook. It reveals whether or not we think God is in control. Listen, you tell me what you pray about and I can tell you where your faith lies. If you don't pray for your enemies, then, then you don't love reconciliation the way that God loves reconciliation. If you pray for others, then your faith desires that God work in their life. If you don't pray for sin in your life, then you don't want victory over that sin in your life. If you pray for wisdom from God, then you remind yourself to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. If you don't pray for discernment of God's will, you know what you're saying? You're saying then that you want God to align to your will. And by the way, sometimes when we pray for God's will, that's really what we're saying. We're really saying, God, here's what I want, and you should agree with me. Rather than, God, show me what you want, 
that I might agree with you. And so what are your prayers focused on? What, what doctrine lies behind your prayer? Because prayer is really about the purpose is to unite us with God, to align our goals with God's goals. Prayer changes us, and it changes our mind. It centers us on the Lord, and in times of crisis or in times of peace, what He's trying to accomplish. And so He tells us here, what, what is good? Prayer is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What's God's desire? He wants people to know the truth. The truth will set them free. He desires that people know Him. And so prayer works the works of God. God will accomplish His will, and I believe this firmly. He will accomplish His will with or without you. The question is, do you want to be a participant with Him? He's going to get His will done. And He's going to do it with or without you. You, you can just choose to participate. And prayer is often what aligns us fixes our hearts, because I don't know about you, but my desires are off all the time. I, I want to trust myself. I want to trust my vast 43 years of experience as opposed to his infinite knowledge. Right? And prayer achieves this peace and security of Christ by aligning with him. It develops our character because God uses disciples who walk with Him. God's not going to use disciples who don't walk with Him. He's going to use disciples to accomplish His will through people who walk with Him. And so He tells us to, to do it in godliness and reverence. Godliness is right, uh, religious devotion. Reverence here is holiness, this seriousness of purpose. And when I say serious, I don't mean that Christians are a bunch of no-nonsense people who never laugh. Christians should laugh more than anyone because this world is funny. But we should also be serious about the things of the Lord and the will of God. And His will is to do spiritual work. His desire is that all men be saved, that they turn to Him. Now, I say it's His desire. He will accomplish His will, but He will not force His will upon people. But His desire is that we know the truth. Yet His will is always accomplished. It doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. But everyone will recognize salvation is only in Christ. And they'll recognize it one way or another. Now, or when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so God desires. No, notice this. This term, all men, appears in verse two, 1, 2, 4, and 6. Very, very all-inclusive, everyone, and yet at the same time, it, it, comes, it, it gets very narrow and very specific as we move along. By the way, it's being written to Timothy, who's pastoring a church, that he is to tell his church these things. This coming to the knowledge of the truth is an essential part of the verse, this verse. God wants people to understand what the truth of Christ is. And so let me ask you a very important question. What happens when you don't feel like praying. Let's be honest. And I don't, I don't want to just preach a, a really vanilla message up here because I know that if I, I could stop right now and say, how many of you need to improve your prayer life? Everyone, right? 
Let's be honest, though, about the backside of this. How, how, how often are there times where you don't feel like praying? You don't want to pray. Listen, there's times where you don't feel like going to church. I'm going to be honest. There's times I don't feel like going to church. There's times you don't feel like giving the gospel. And so it's true, there's times you don't feel like praying. But we're not to be led by our feelings. Our feelings are the expressions of a heart that sometimes is wrong. Right? Our desires are wrong sometimes. So what do you do when you don't feel like praying? You pray. You pray. What do you do when you don't feel like going to church? Go to church. I know you're here, so thank you. You go to church. What do you do when you don't feel like giving the gospel? You give the gospel. Nothing will, will quick, quickly fix you and repair your desires than get near God. So you don't feel like praying? Pray. Pray, and, and there are promises from Scripture that will fix your bad heart. Promises like Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit helps. The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now notice this. Now He who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What do you do when you don't know what to say? When you don't know what to pray or you don't feel like praying? Tell God that. He already knows what's going on in your heart. The problem is you need to be honest with yourself. Pray. And so he tells us this incredible great thing, right? just like we read in, in Hebrews. We can come boldly before the throne. Why can we come boldly before the throne? Because of verse 5 of 1 Timothy 2. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I am appointed a preacher and, a, and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. We pray because God fixes us. That's what God does. That's what Jesus does. He fixes us. And so if you're broken, tell Him you're broken. And what will happen? He welcomes you with open arms, just like we sang a minute ago. And so let's get this back to one another. Praying for one another. It's hard. Sometimes I don't want to pray for other people. And yet He commands us to pray. In fact, he, he ends in verse 8, or where we're going to end today. Paul tells Timothy, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We have the primacy of prayer here. What we pray for is, is what concerns us. And there's times where I ask you to pray or you ask me to pray probably. And it, we're easy to say, yeah, I'm praying for you. 
And maybe if I remember, I might pray one time, and then I forget, and I move on. Let's be honest, that happens. It happens a lot. And you know why? Be honest, it's because we don't care that much. All through Scripture, you have words like fervent in prayer, consistent in prayer, persistent in prayer, continual in prayer. We pray for what concerns us. And so Paul gives a command here, and we could interpret it as all people, but I actually don't think it's all people. I think when he says men here, he means not all of mankind or all, all Christians. I think he means men. Because the next verse, he goes on to the women. The reason I think he's telling men here is because men are to be the spiritual leaders of their home. And if men are praying the right way, then then their wives are going to pray the right way. Their children are going to pray the right way. And so he's he's calling for an example. I don't think this is just in the church either. This must be in the church when we're gathering as a body, but outside the church as well. So he says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We pray about what concerns us. And prayer focuses our heart on the things that please God. And if we do not pray for one another, then what does that reveal? Generally speaking, we're disinterested in the spiritual condition of other people. Listen, I'm not trying to just rebuke us, but we have to be honest. Prayer is a discipline of Christ just like reading your Bible, just like going to church, just like witnessing. These are disciplines of living a a holy Christian life. And it's one that we're bad at. We have to fix the way we pray, and it needs to start with the men. We should pray for real things. In fact, that's the whole point of this, this part here that he's going into, and he's emphasized it here, he's emphasized it in Hebrews, the passage we read, he emphasized it in James in the passage we read there, that the heart is what matters the most. We're, in fact, he uses the term here, and, and, and as independent Baptists, we don't like this term, but it's in Scripture, so we're going to talk about it. He says, lift up holy hands. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pastor, we can't, we can't express emotion, emotion in church, can we? That's the whole point of worship. Our worship to God is the outpouring, the overflow of what's been going on in our heart all week, where we join together with other believers and we express what He has done for us, to us, in us, through us. And we give Him the honor and the glory for it. In fact, this term, lift up holy hands, it's a Jewish term, a Christian term, and a pagan term. Everyone says they use it. Okay, so let's just, let's just state the obvious here. Lifting our hands up, there's nothing spiritual about that. He's using the term because it's an old Jewish term of a heave offering. In the, in the Old Testament, you go to Exodus, there's this heave offering. It's a good offering, right? Sometimes the offerings, they're, they're negative, right? <laughs> Trespass offering, you know, sacrificial offering, atonement offerings. This is because we're bad. We're doing bad things. We always think the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. We defraud one another, and we have to go get things right with God. But the heave offering is different. The heave offering is God has blessed and you take the goodness of your ground, your grain, or, your, or whatever it is, and in thanks, 
you lift it up to God. It's a, a literal lifting up of hands, saying, I'm offering this to you, God, because you alone are good. You have provided. You are always right. You are righteous and true and altogether worthy of my worship. That's what it, that's what it means. The literal lifting up has no significance whatsoever. It's what's going on in the heart that matters. I, I think it's fair to say probably there, there were thousands or millions of times people offered a heave offering in the Old Testament and they didn't really mean it. They're going through the motions, just like you and I. It's probably thousands of times where we have, we have prayed a prayer and we didn't even mean it. We just went through the motions. Or we sat in church and we stood up and we sang and we just went through the motions. It's empty. It's vain. It might look good to everyone else around us, but God sees the heart. Our worship is meant to be an overflow of what we believe about God. And so he tells us here that we're to have lift up with holy hands. These are hands that have been purified by deeds of righteousness. They've been sprinkled. They've been cleansed. And with, with purity, we're offering to God what's been going on in our heart. And sometimes that's confession, and sometimes that's thanksgiving. And sometimes that's this, this general prayer, and sometimes it's a deep, intense recognition that we need God. That's prayer. It's a whole gamut of emotions. It's an expression of, of praise to Him and to Him alone. But purity of heart in worship is what matters, and it results in an outpouring of feelings and expressions. James 4.2 says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now listen, we should never be driven or controlled by our emotions. But with that being said, we should not bottle up our emotions and offer to God blandness. He's worthy of great worship. In fact, he says that we're to offer up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Pure motives. My attitude when I pray is important. My attitude when I sing is important. And I need to humble myself and genuinely pray. Pray for all men. But to pray most importantly that my heart be right with God. Because God, what, He knows what's going on in our heart. And so our worship must be pure nothing false, nothing contrived, nothing distracting, nothing doubtful. Can I just continue my honest rant here a little bit and say that there's ditches on both sides? I can go probably anywhere in this country and I can find right now auditoriums that are totally blacked out, have smoke machines going, light strobe lights going, a band playing so you can't hear anyone near you or around you, and, and, and people gesturing and working others up, trying to get them to, to pour out some kind of a, a, an emotional response to God. You realize that's empty. 
If, if I have to right now work and put all kinds of effort just to get you to, to say, amen, yeah, God's good. I may be giving you truth even, but you're not worshiping God. Worship is an overflow of what God's been doing in our hearts. And it's offered from pure hearts. And so it's easy to rile people up. Listen, our world, has, Satan has mastered this. Right? In just about every realm of society, he can get people riled up, right? We can go watch a, a sports event and get all excited and, and respond with a big crowd. That's not true worship. And that shouldn't be happening in the church either. Now, the other ditch. The other ditch is probably one we're a lot closer to cold, heartless, Worship. Ritualistic worship. Where we stand or sit and we offer to God our great worship and praise as we sing a song. Emotionless. Cold. Not coming from a contrite heart. And God rejects cold, heartless worship. And he rejects frenzied, chaotic worship. And he rejects empty and contrived worship. God accepts heartfelt, honest, emotionally full worship. He tells us in Psalm 51, God loves what? A broken and a contrite heart. This is hard because our hearts are desperately wicked and our emotions are poor guides. Our desires are fleshly. And this is why we have to say, Lord, don't align with my desires and my will. I'm going to align with your desires and your will. And we need God's help with that. We need, as I read earlier, Romans 8, 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our infirmities for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. And so the Holy Spirit fixes us. I hope today you came to offer praise to God, realizing your praise is probably going to be imperfect and you need Him to fix you now. I want to tell you about the greatest year of prayer I've ever had. It's been this year. I, I did something differently. I read a book called Praying the Bible. It's a really easy book, simple says it's 100 pages. It's not. He's lying. He, start, he starts on like page 12. You know, he's got four appendixes. Short, it's easy to read. I started praying scripture. And I, I've had many different ways of praying, and I'm not saying this is the only way or the best way, but I want to tell you what's helped me. I've been praying through scripture, and it's kept me focused on God. All right, I've got, a, I've got a problem with my mind. I'm going to admit it right now. It wanders very quickly. And it goes to strange places. And this has helped me stay focused on the Lord and His goodness. Praying through Scripture has given me structure to help guide me in my prayer. Praying through Scripture keeps my mind focused on the truth of God rather than my desires. And so I want to just tell you kind of how I do it. I've got in, in this book... 
This is my prayer book. I'm sorry, I didn't show it to you yet. This is my prayer book. Maybe you've seen me. I don't let anyone see it, though. I mean, I'll show you if you want, but you might not want me to show you what I'm praying for you about. I have her broken down in, into a month, one month at a time, and then in one week at a time. And every month, I pray for a different thing every day. So today's the, the 25th. I prayed for the, for the judgment of God. Every day I focus on a different aspect of God. I focus from 90, Psalm 96, verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. I just praise God for his righteous judgments. I praise him for what he does. And then I read a corresponding psalm. I have them broken down. And then I pray for people. My family gets prayed for every day. But listen, we got 280 plus people in this church. And listen, I'm going to recognize that you all want me to pray for you all the time. I realize that. You think I'm more spiritual? I'm not. Okay? You want me to pray, and many times you ask. But I've got in here, I've got every church member. It's one of the perks of being a member. I've got every church member, and I pray. This is my church member section. And I pray for every one of you this, this week. I'll pray for every one of you. Very specific prayer linked with a verse from Scripture. I'm going to use Pastor Perry as I can, if I can for an example. Actually, Pastor Perry's in my family section. Every day I pray for Pastor Perry, one of five things. I'm going to tell you the first one. I pray 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Pray that Pastor Perry would understand the will of God. He would love the will of God. I pray that he would have confidence, realize his confidence is in God and God alone. And that he would realize that God hears him. I thank the Lord for that. I pray for every one of you who are members, that is, according to this, this kind of method. And I just converse with God. Sometimes the, the, the request is around something you need, something that's around something I think you need. Something, sometimes it's around a, a, a point of encouragement. And I just converse with God, and I change it as needed. And I ask God to refine my prayers. This has revolutionized my prayer in a good way. This is what God calls us to do. Pray for one another. It really involves being spiritually vested in one another. And so I'd like to close today. Actually, I have copies of this. If you'd like a copy, I have a bunch sitting up. I don't know, about 30 of them sitting up on the front row. If you'd like a copy, I, I encourage you to come take one, read through it, evaluate your own prayer life. But I'd like to close today by praying for one another. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans. I want to pray Romans 15. <clears throat> and I'm going to pray verses 1 through 3 for you and for myself. And then I'm going to ask if you would pray verses 5 through 7 silently. 
And so I just want to demonstrate what this looks like and ask you if you would do the same as we pray for one another. The words are on the screen if you'd like to follow along there as well. So I'll pray. If you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. If you don't want to close your eyes, that's fine. But would you pray with me? And then after I finish, I'll pause. And I encourage you to pray. Begin praying through verses 5 through 7. Our strong Father, we thank you for the strength that you give us. We acknowledge that you are all-powerful and there's nothing good in us except what you have done. We thank you for the times of weakness in our own lives that have taught us to trust you. Right now we pray for our weak brothers and sisters who are struggling, struggling to understand your greatness, struggling to understand your awesome power. Lord, I pray you would help them repair their doctrine. Help us to be focused on bearing them along and bringing them closer to you rather than being focused on ourselves. Help us to put to death our own selfish ambitions and focus instead on guiding and serving our fellow believers. Give us wisdom so that our efforts will strengthen their faith and build them up. And so we praise you. We praise you for being the greatest example of humble service, for you did your Father's will even when it meant your own death. Help us to press forward in obedience even when it costs us much, but results in the spiritual gain of your kingdom. Give us strength, Lord, that we would receive the reproaches of men rather than repel them in our own pride. Lord, you took my reproach willingly. And I praise you alone and thank you alone for taking my filthy pride, my willful ignorance, my unjust anger. Took my shame. Give me strength to demonstrate your grace. Lord, we thank you that through you, life begins. By your word, we are changed. Lord, I pray you'd help us to receive one another, just like you received us. You didn't require anything of us. You didn't demand perfection. You just asked and in love, we unite with you. We pray that our response to this would be to the glory of you and you alone. Lord, we are thankful. Thankful that you are a God who gives us many chances, for you are always faithful. May you be honored 
and glorified by our heart's response. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.